Self-driving cars log their first pedestrian fatality. Chad and I have the great Tesla debate. The Austin bomber exposes vulnerabilities in parcel carriers. Trump announces Chinese tariffs and we are wordless in Seattle. I'm JP. And I'm Chad. And we discuss all these topics and more in this episode of What the Truck. Hey, so what kind of beer are you drinking today, JP? Shout out to Bell's Two-Hearted, My Ride or Die. Wow, the same beer every time. Nice. What do you got? Well, what I got is a shout out to local brewery here in Chattanooga, Hutton and Smith. I'm drinking the Good Schist. You want to know about it? It's uh, they, what they do with it is they they add um, abundant late additions and dry hopping um, with a Huel Melon highlight for this. Excellent. What does it taste like? American Pale Ale. It's tropical and juicy with a like a firm malt backbone. Um, Are you just reading <laughs> off the can? <laughs> Not anymore. Um, it's definitely <laughs> good schist. I'll tell you that. All right. Why don't we okay. Why don't we get into it? Well, let's play. Did you know first? And, oh um, yeah. Explain this game, Chad. Uh, this is to this time. It's to test out what does JP know about cryptocurrency terms. You're kind of down with it, right? You know, you know some some good terminology. I've read a little bit. You know, I kind of lurk on our Bitcoin. Uh, dis- disclosure: I don't actually hold any cryptocurrencies, mm. but I've been, um, you know, kind of eyeing the market and. Uh, <laughs> you know, researching about blockchain. So um, I haven't seen the list that you're about to read. So if I look okay. like a total noob, you know, maybe it's because I am. Noob is not one of the terms that we're about. To, you're about to be tested on. We're going to ask you 10 terms and we're going to see how you uh, fare. All right, term number one, just like kind of a, this is a softball one, just an easy, are you ready? Yep. HODL. HODL um, comes from a drunk 2013 forum post during the first Bitcoin crash when someone said, I'm holding, but it means <laughs> it means to hold. It means actually the backronyms hold on for dear life. And it's how Bitcoin and cryptocurrency investors ride out the bear market. <laughs> holding on to a coin instead of selling it. I will give that one to you. I think that you understood that term. In fact, you um, gave us more than we needed. Um, <clears throat> TLDR on that one. Altcoin. Altcoins are basically the um, alternative um, coins to Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're all the small coins that pop up. Um, Litecoin is probably one of the more well-known ones. Jesus coins, also known as shit coins. Um, because no, no, I'm sorry, that's not correct. Uh, it's <laughs> it's every cryptocurrency other than Bitcoin. So, okay. All right. That was that was very. I mean, you were informed. I was but saying that's every cryptocurrency cur- except yeah. for Bitcoin and Ethereum. But okay, whatever. Uh, well, you know what? In that case, if that's what you, we'll we'll give that one to you. We're feeling we're feeling uh, generous. Um, FOMO, fear of missing out, yeah, um, has to do with people buying high in the market, um, which is usually not, a bad exactly. idea. Exactly. Very good. Um, well, so how about this one for a curveball? Jomo. Not FOMO, oh, but Jomo. Oh, I think I know what this means. I think it means joy of missing out. Nice! Four for four, the joy of missing out, right when you've dodged a bullet. Yeah, so if you bought Woe, and so if you bought Bitcoin when it was at 8000 then it goes up to you know 20000 You see all these people jump in, 
it drops back down to 10,000, you have the joy of missing out at that high price. How about this one, Moon? Moon. We're going to the moon. That's that reflects uh, Bitcoin fanatics' belief that Bitcoin will somehow one day be worth um, you know a million dollars a coin. Everyone wants their coins to go up. Very good. Five for five. Bag holder. Bag holder are the people that um, the people the, the naive small investors who get left holding the bag after a pump and dump scheme. <laughs> normally on yes, all coins. yes, very nice shit coin. You've already alluded to it. Yeah, so basically just you know worthless coins with dubious utilities. Right on. All right, so far so good. I'm still not letting you see the terms. I'm okay. Uh, D Y O R. I don't know. Oh, uh, do your own research. Uh, okay. You heard that maybe, one? Maybe oh, I should have okay. done my own research. <laughs> yeah. Um, FUD. FUD is fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It's basically yeah. when, you know, uh, the president of Goldman Sachs says, you know, you know, Bitcoins are, you know, a scam and uh, it's going down to zero and blah, blah, blah. They're spreading FUD. Finally, whale. Whale is just a big investor. Um and Boom. whales, uh, yeah, they can move the market a lot. A super wealthy trader with a lot of money to spend. Bing, bing, bing. 90%. You got an A. Very wow. nice on the crypto terms. JP. Killing a, a, a minus. We're impressed, all of us. Oh, cool. <clears throat> okay. Well, why don't we hop into the stories of the week? Yeah, sure. So um, one of the main things that we've been covering FreightWaves covers a lot of autonomous vehicle technology. Um, you know, also known as driver assist technology, but basically everything that helps trucks sort of intelligently map their surroundings, steer themselves, um, improve safety and productivity. Yeah, and um, so a big thing happened this week. Yeah, so the, the, this is the first time this has happened. An Uber self-driving Volvo SUV, an XC90, um, in the either late night... Uh, it was 10 p.m. To 10 p.m. on Mon- Sunday, um, hit a pedestrian in Tempe, Arizona, where Uber's been conducting extensive self-driving tests for you know, over a year. Um, hit a pedestrian, and she later died of her injuries. And, um, yeah, Tempe, Arizona, and it's Arizona, um, a consumer watchdog, um, the consumer watchdog project director, John Simpson, blamed lax regulation on the accident. And he, he said Arizona has been the Wild West of robot car testing with virtually no regulations in place, he said. And when there's no sheriff in town, people get killed. Uh, I mean, you know, plenty of people are getting killed by cars all the time. But, you know, and, and so my first thoughts were that, okay, I, I tried to put – I wrote a story about this when it first uh, broke on Monday afternoon. And I wanted to put it in the context of overall automotive fatalities, right? Yeah. Like specifically deaths per 100 million vehicle miles. And if you look at that number mm-hmm. over the course of the 20th century, it's basically the very highest when cars are first introduced. So in the 20s, we're looking at 24 deaths per 100 million miles. It's, mm. It basically drops exponentially. In around the 19, around 1950s, 1960, it's about 10. 
Yeah. So it's already been cut in more than half. It's been under two deaths per 100 million vehicle miles since about 1991. Wow. So it's and it's and it's been Good under data. Two, and it's kind of flattened out. Okay. Yeah. We've been trying to improve human-driven cars for about 90 years, right? Yeah. And we've we've done a great job. We've been working on autonomous for about five years, and they're already about 50% safer than human-driven cars. And, and that's really interesting stats. Um, one of the things, right after the, the collision, the, the following day, um, the, the um, police chief of Tempe, Arizona, um, Sylvia Moore, I think I'm pronouncing I hope I'm pronouncing that right. She said it's, she looked at the video evidence and she said, it's very clear it would have been difficult to avoid this collision in any kind of mode. Which at the time, I think a lot of us were starting to think, well, you know, it was dark and, you know, this pedestrian must have not been paying much attention. They were jaywalking. She just kind of maybe like, you know, put, you know, start just kind of jumped, almost jumped out in front of the car. Yeah. So, so the story started, it almost seemed like, you know, the sheriff was carrying water for Uber in some way, basically saying that a human driver would have hit the person in the exact same way that the autonomous vehicle did. And, the, and I think we should inter, we should make sure that we note who the victim was. She was uh, Elaine Hertzberg. Hertzberg. Uh, she was 49 and um, just walking her bike outside of the crosswalk. Right, right. <clears throat> um, but uh, so we thought that. Then today the video comes out. And I kind of can't believe you made me watch that video, Chad. <laughs> I'm sorry, but it, it's it's in the interest of our investigative uh, journalism. And well, I, I'm, you know, and to reflect, I'm kind of glad you did make me watch the video because it was different than what I expected. Me I kind too. of expected, uh, you know, this Uber car driving 38 miles an hour down some sort of, you know, urban road. Someone jumps out from the sidewalk in front of it. Bam. Nothing you can do. But that's yeah. not really what the video showed, was it? No. Um, it was going 38 in a 40. It wasn't speeding, according to reports. Um, but, like, it showed the, the, the video footage showed both the front, like what was happening, and then also what the driver who was behind the wheel was doing. And it really looks like um, she, the, um, the victim, was like in the road, like had already crossed a couple of lanes. Yeah, so she was, so yeah. the, the Uber car was on the rightmost lane of a, like a, right. like a three lane That's what it looked like. Road, at least. And so the victim was coming from the left, had already crossed yeah. two lanes of traffic before the Uber car hit her it looks when you watch the video you really think that like okay this you know the the sensors on this car really should have picked her up uh indeed and um and also the the reverse camera showing the driver or the the you know the the person behind the wheel not driving he he was looking down the entire time so the report that said his first alert to the collision was the sound of the collision was because he wasn't looking right 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 do we know anything about this guy brain was off um, the only, the main thing I've heard about this person is that they did serve time in the early 2000s for armed robbery, which, as you astutely pointed out earlier, doesn't help the situation. <laughs> right. Um, because we want autonomous to succeed. Uber, get your shit together, right? Right. 
like we know this technology is safe, but there, Uber has so many PR challenges. It's really uh, kind of surprising and disconcerting that they're still exposing themselves to this kind of negative publicity. I mean, we know these things are going to happen, but I mean, come on. Yeah, they can do better because we all want uh, to be able to have cars drive us wherever we want without having to drive. And this is a setback. <clears throat> all right. Um, is it time for the great Tesla debate between JP and Chad? <laughs> I don't know how great it's going to be, but um, my, I think I'm up against the ropes here as a, a, a Tesla believer. But um, go ahead. Let's, let's try this. So I'm... I'm kind of a well-known Tesla bear, and today, you know, this week I wrote a story rounding up all of the negative headlines about Tesla recently. And so, really, it's you're a hater. I'm kind of a hater. I'm not a hater of <laughs> um, electric cars. I think you know it will happen. I just think that Tesla is a particularly poorly run car maker. What? Why? Um, why are they so bad? Okay, why are they so bad? I mean, everyone um, is keenly aware of them. To me, that's a sign of success. They have a great brand. Um, Elon Musk is a charismatic salesman, but they've made some pretty like bad decisions, and they're not living. Henry up to, Ford made bad. They're decisions. not living up to their own hype. Though. Yeah, but Henry Ford made money for every car he made. <laughs> Later. Not at first. <laughs> he failed so, with his first two car companies. That's true. Um, and Elon might fail with his first car company. <laughs> um, well, we'll see. So here's what happened. There's been an exodus of senior management okay. at Tesla in the past, called six weeks. Um, the first one, their um, vice president of sales left. Um, which at a particularly bad time during their make or break product launch of the Model 3 car, which is supposed to be their entry into mass market vehicles yeah. that finally makes the company profitable. Right. So he left in the middle of that. Their um, chief accounting officer left, their corporate treasurer left, and their VP of finance left. Um, that's, last and those, week. Those, those that are, all that's, happened last week. That's three titles, but it's, it's two people, and that happened last week. Um, okay, so can I res can I respond to that? I'm, oh, go ahead. I'm not finished yet. Um, <laughs> and so then some headlines came out. Um, basically, some some Tesla engineers went to CNBC and said, "We're really concerned about the quality of the parts that are coming out of the Gigafactory. A full forty okay. percent of them have to be reworked or remanufactured because they're faulty in some way." And this is after Tesla already paused production at the end of February for f four days to fix these issues. And industry comment commenters have said that 40% parts need reworking. That indicates a quality control issue, a full order of magnitude above what a normal car maker should be facing. So, you know, their, their key people are leaving they're still, you know, destroying a billion dollars of wealth every quarter. The car, the parts that they're making don't work the way that they're supposed to. And they haven't, and the Model 3s that they have been producing aren't the $35,000 mass market versions. They're the high spec 50K plus versions 
that I, yeah. I don't see how that has mainstream appeal. I've I mean, heard that too, and I that's mean, yeah, that's disappointing to me because as a as a consumer, you get enticed by the thirty five thousand dollar price point. Whoa, I could get into this market at thirty five, but you especially if I didn't to, have to buy gas. Yeah, but you start to like you start to doubt the validity of that. Um, they seem to be I w- granted they seem to be better at making uh, one hundred thousand dollar vehicles for the wealthy elite of Orange County, but. Can I just respond to one of your points? Like, because uh, one of like consumer edge um, right. analysts um, had meetings um, at the end of last week, um, okay. so a week ago, at, and, at Gigafactory. Uh, and based on their conversations with management, they said, we do not believe there is a serious issue driving these exit decisions, and we would caution against reading too much into these headlines at this time. Um, they said basically Tesla will need to replace the role of their services at some point. They're, they're not freaking out about it. They had a variety of reasons for their departures. And I'm sure there's stress. People are oh, yeah. pointing no, I think, the finger I, I think at Tesla. It, it's, it must be extraordinarily difficult to be the finance guy for an automotive startup, which, I mean, there aren't automotive startups. You know what right. I mean? Every car company is an incumbent. People don't do this. He expects a lot from his people. He gets a lot from his people. And, you know, shout out to Elon Musk for putting a roadster into orbit around the sun. (laughs) Oh, I don't know if that's a... For changing the way, you know, for basically pioneering commercial space flight and for his vision. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for him as a thinker and a leader and an innovator. But, I mean, it's really, really hard to mass produce technologically advanced cars for the first time. And I, I think his decision at the beginning of 2017 mm-hmm. to skip the soft tooling prototype phase of Model 3 pre-production. And so what I'm talking about is basically you order these machine tools to build the parts of a car, and but they're, but they're the sort of cheaper, adjustable machine tools, and you um, calibrate them correctly after some experiment, and get them to make yeah. the parts exactly right, then you order the permanent versions, right? And you he, think that. He, he decided to skip that prototyping phase, which, you know, GM doesn't do that. You know, Ford doesn't do that. You yeah. Know, and he decided to skip it because he thought it would be faster and cheaper. I think that's coming back to haunt him. That, would, that was a bad CEO level decision. As a as a believer, I would say that that is the one thing I kind of personally wish that they had done differently. I wish that they had figured out a partnership with an actual OEM, original equipment manufacturer, yeah. so that they could produce these things because they never have done that. Right. I will and, say that. And you know, I mean, I think the end game for the Tesla bear who thinks that the equity yep. is crashing and going to zero is that yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're going to get bought out. <laughs> they have great technology. Technology, they have great intellectual property. They have a valuable yeah. brand. Someone's going to want that. There will always probably be Tesla cars, but who knows who's going to control the board. All right. Fair enough. Well, let's move on to um, uh, our next story of the week, which, um, you know, it's national news. Uh, it's, um, uh, you know, it's about the the FedEx facility near San Antonio, the bomb that that went off and fortunately only injured one employee. Um, yeah, so we're talking about Mark Corbett, the serial bomber who was you know identified um, 
and tracked to a hotel. And then, you know, as, as authorities were closing in on him, he blew himself up. Um, but what we're interested right. in with this story is, is, is what exactly? So, yeah, exactly. Like, it's a national story. It was big news at the time. You know, it happened at a FedEx facility. But what does it have to do um, for us in the trucking uh, and, you know, supply chain industry? And, and I would say that, you know, it's a lot more than just, like, some minor disruptions at the FedEx uh, facility. Um, you know, I would say that this has to do with a, a very large issue, which is, um, you know, e- e-commerce continues to fuel a growth in package volumes, and with that comes increased risks of counterfeit, uh, theft, and hazardous packages. Um, and remember, way back in 2000, and, or not after 9-11, the TSA began to screen 100% of packages transported by, by way of passenger jet. Interestingly, FedEx has one of the largest airliners right. in the world, um, but they carry just their 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 you know seven forty sevens or whatever they carry just cargo, and so they might not actually be subject to the same kind of screening as the TSA. Um, now this is also so you're saying like that like jets could blow up as well. Yeah, I'm saying like how is it possible in 2018 that they can't detect the difference between you know <laughs> uh, me and my kids like birthday present from her grandmother and. <laughs> A bomb. Yeah. And which is like, I guess to finish my, um, my thought too about like that ground shipping, however, hasn't faced the same scrutiny. Um, and FedEx ground moves more than 8 million packages a day through 37 hubs, which is obviously an enormous volume that would require next level technology and facilities to screen. Uh, and, and so far, FedEx has not responded to questions about its screening and, and de- detection protocols. Right. But if, it, you know, if people find if this becomes the new thing and we know that, you know, terrorist activity is sort of fueled by media coverage, that it's imitative of previous uh, successes, you know, we really do expect some kind of r- rigorous response from parcel carriers. Yes to be able to guarantee that they're not dropping off a bomb at people's houses. <clears throat> yeah, because like, they, I mean, it, you know, it affects your consciousness. Like, yesterday we got a, uh, you know, I, I got a, uh, a Zappos, like, you know, delivery in my, on my porch last night, and I was bringing it into the home to, to, to give to my son, and, and, uh, and I said, hope it's not a bomb. You know, <laughs> just like it's a joke because it, it affects your, your consciousness. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it's, it's sad but true. Um, uh, another story. Uh, this has been a, a week of big stories. Right. Just today, Donald Trump announces uh, tariffs on Chinese imports. Will this spark a global trade war? Um, definitely increases the risk, according to Ibrahim Bayan, uh, FreightWaves chief economist. And you can read his story on FreightWaves.com. But um, no, it's it's really disconcerting. I mean, there are certain abuses, yes, that China has, has done. Like, like for, for example, like certain companies that do business in China, they require those companies, the Chinese government requires those companies to forego intellectual property protections. Um, right. And so, you know, everyone knows that yeah, we're getting ripped off on that. Yeah. People get ripped off on software, on, you know, entertainment, um, things like, IP. like film um, and music. 
even even down to even like the design of of haute couture fashion clothing is considered intellectual property and the counterfeits that come out of those and you know show up in the black markets on the you know, battery park and things like that so yeah, go, I'm sorry. No, that's that's all part but, of these 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 abuses. Is, so is is that what it's about? Because um, I keep hearing the United States runs this hefty goods trade deficit with China of uh, of three hundred and seventy five billion dollars. Yeah. So the mass we have a massive trade deficit with China because you know we're a comparatively wealthy country. We buy more stuff from them than mm. they buy from us. Right. That makes sense. We have a service and information oriented economy not a manufacturing-oriented economy. So we're not, you know, services like if you're a lawyer or if you're a programmer or, you know, whatever you are, that's not as easily exportable as, you know, making assembling an iPhone. Um, yeah. And so we naturally run a trade deficit with China. That's been part of, you know, Trump's sort of anxiety about trade, his protectionist rhetoric on the campaign trail. Um is $375 billion an accurate number? I actually don't think so. I think that the way that they measure trade deficits is outdated. And I'll give you an example hmm. um, that I read on Quartz.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they were talking about just the value of the iPhones that we import from China is like 5.5% of the entire trade deficit. But they said that that's really misleading because – most of the components of the iPhone are, you know, actually created and built in allied countries, um, countries that are allied to the U.S., like, you know, South Korea and Taiwan. They're, those components are merely assembled in China, and so when we when we they ship the, when China ships the iPhone to the U.S. They're not getting all that money. They're 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 adding. And that's va- calculated in. They're adding value, okay, sort of. Their- yeah, they're adding value late in the supply chain or in the value chain of that product. But when the trade deficit's calculated, they're getting all of that. Yeah. When really it should be attributed to you know, like I said, South Korea, Taiwan, and so um, by some estimates, if the trade deficit was calculated in a different way that took into account the sophistication and complexity of the global supply chain, our trade deficit with China would be as much as 36% lower right off the bat. Yeah, I read that too. Um, and uh, yeah, there's an, a- an Asian uh, economics uh, professor who who estimated that and said uh, it, it's it, the, the deficit's much lower. Regardless, um, could this spark a trade war? It looks like China has some re- re- retaliation um, ideas up their sleeve. Yeah, um, specifically agriculture. Yeah, specifically with agriculture, and you know, um, so China is the biggest importer of American soybeans. There are other things like grain that are um, really you know. When when the international market is such that it makes sense for the U.S. to export grain, there's a huge um, volume for railroads carrying grain to port. If if that calculus changes, if a tariffs get placed on that, that business will evaporate. So I mean, it has it's it's really complicated, um, yeah. and it's going to take a long time to suss out all of the various manifold effects. But one thing I would keep an eye on mm-hmm. are um, you know the, the stock prices of retailers like Walmart, who end up you know, end up selling a lot of Chinese products 
at what yeah. cost to American consumers. <clears throat> uh, and uh, I think a Morgan Stanley analyst said that it would have a moderate inf- impact on both uh, economies. We'll, we'll see. We don't even know the extent to, of the tariffs yet. But it's big news this week. And finally, more uh, less of a national story, more of a regional one. Uh, but some of our data analysts uh, at Freight Waves have put together some interesting um, uh, statistics on on what's going on in Seattle. So we've called it uh, loadless in Seattle. They're a black hole for truckers right now. My question for you is how did this happen? The short answer is that port traffic fell off for Seattle. Every other West Coast port has posted positive growth year to date for 2018. Long Beach grew 16%, for example. Except for Seattle. Seattle is negative 22% growth year-to-date 2018. The city has been starved for freight. Spot prices have cratered. Turndowns have cratered from 20% of all loads to 5%, meaning that trucks are being forced to accept uh, lower prices. And the lead times, interestingly, tender lead times have also shortened, meaning that shippers know that there are more loads than trucks and they're not worried about finding a truck to move their freight and they're taking advantage of these low prices to get stuff out. But yeah, it's it's a combination of factors. You know, Seattle's a traditional backhaul market. But so this is somewhat normal for Seattle. Yeah, it's a there's a normal dip after the end of Apple season. But the um, shocking underperformance in port container traffic is really dragging down the whole regional market. Okay. Loadless in Seattle. Uh, Well, that wraps up our top five stories of the week. Now, JP and I are going to play... Big deal or little deal, where JP and Chad run down the rest of the week's news in two minutes. The Fed appears to raise rates again. Big deal or little deal? Little deal. Three hikes are already priced into the market, and you can tell this because the 10-year generic treasury yields are hovering around 2.9% in anticipation of higher rates. All this does is marginally increase the cost of debt. Congress praises blockchain technology as revolutionary. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. Since when does Congress do much of anything, especially calling something revolutionary, other than the Revolutionary War? Uh, Also, it calls out the hypocrisy of Google and Twitter and Facebook and their censorship of the term blockchain and cryptocurrency. Another major storm hits the Northeast. Big deal or little deal? Little deal. With the Northeast, we're talking about a non-producing, congested backhaul market with low average truck velocities that's already way too expensive. 12, 12 inches of snow is just more of the same. Now, legislation introduced Wednesday morning calls the Drive Safe Act would legalize 18 to 21-year-olds to drive semis across state lines. Big deal or little deal? Little deal. 18 to 21-year-olds can already drive hundreds of miles within their own state. They will be responsible, well-vetted drivers in this program. And, you know, it might help the driver shortage a little, but it's not a major solution. 
Keep trucking guns for unicorn status after securing another 50 million in Series C funding. Big deal or little deal? Huge deal. A $1 billion valuation for a trucking data company really shows how dramatically the landscape post-ELD has shifted. We know data is the new oil, and now we're starting to figure out who the refiners and sellers of that black gold are going to be. Now, more numbers tell the same story. Trucking costs are rising. Big deal or little deal? Big deal. Downward pressure on retail margins. General Mills are going to raise cereal prices, and this may just be the first domino. Meanwhile, it might help the driver shortage a little. And that'll do it for the big stories this week. As always, we go into more detail about each of the topics we've talked about today on our website, FreightWaves.com. We will continue to publish this podcast weekly, so be sure to subscribe to What the Truck on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Also, make sure to leave us a review to let us know what you think of our new podcast. And if you're into learning about technology that's shaping up the industry, you definitely want to be at Transparency 18 in Atlanta this May. Visit Transparency18.com to learn more about the event. That'll do it for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you next week on What What the the truck. Truck.